It's Jane Alexander from the Leadership Stream of the Women Count podcast. I'm here today in London with my guest, Laura Hutton, Chief Customer Officer and Co-Founder at Quantexa. Laura completed a first-class Master of Mathematics from Durham University in England, has worked in the tech industry her entire career, starting with programming and technical work, and now is a co-founder of one of the most exciting and well-developed IT startups in the market today. Laura provides a compelling story of how Quantexa started with the mission to lead the market with data-driven solutions that solve complex business problems. The technology is complemented by a purpose-built, inclusive and supportive culture that enables individuals to excel at what they do, while at the same time ensures an intense customer focus is at the heart of everything the organisation does. Laura shares her experience on driving a global employee and customer-focused culture and outlines the background and strategy for building and maintaining leading-edge technology. This is an extremely informative interview and is a must-listen for any individual interested in developing a startup or leading high-performing teams. Finally, and before we start our interview, and in the interest of transparency, I want everyone to know that I currently work at Quantech. I haven't worked directly with Laura and I'm so looking forward to learning more about Laura's leadership role, her philosophical approach and the way she has shaped our organisation. Well, hi Laura and welcome to the Leadership Stream of the Women Count podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here today. Thank you. And it's fantastic to be here in London and meet you face to face. Yeah, for the first time in person. It's lovely. Yeah, it's great. So thank you. So I wanted to start the podcast talking about Quantexa. It's fair to say that the market has spoken and has identified Quantexa as one of the most exciting and leading-edge IT companies in the UK and across the world. We don't need to just take my word for this. And in the past few years, Quantexa has regularly won industry awards, either for the specific products we offer or as a company as a whole. There's actually too many awards to list them in the podcast at the moment, and it would just take too much time. But for our listeners, could you please provide a high-level overview of what Quantexa does? Yeah, absolutely. So Quantexa is six years old this month. In fact, it's our birthday. We specialise in bringing together vast quantities of disparate data to be able to give our clients a single unified view of their customers and leveraging that information, that context, they can be empowered to make better business decisions. Whether that decision is about does this customer pose a risk to me, for example, financial crime risk, a money laundering risk, a fraud risk, or it could be a credit risk. Or indeed, on the other side, which says, well, actually, you know, does this customer offer me a new business opportunity? It's about putting data at the centre of our clients' business decisions so that they can make better, more informed decisions. Thank you very much. And you are one of six founders of the organisation. Can you talk about your role in the organisation? So I'm our chief customer officer, which I suppose I describe myself as being the trusted advisor for our clients within Quantexa. We have always been customer centric and my function focuses on maintaining that customer centricity throughout our engagements with them. Right from the point at which we first engage, you know, I have a set of engineers who help our clients understand how Quantex's technology can help solve their business problems. 
we make sure we're selling the right thing at the right time to the right client, that we're helping them understand how Quantexa can help them solve their problems. And we take them through that journey from that first opening the door through the understanding piece, through the execution piece as we get to a project. And then indeed my role then extends post the sale, helping to nurture our clients, helping them to adopt the technology. And moreover, more importantly almost, looking forward, how can they get more out of that investment that is being made? Now that's quite a unique role in any organisation and I think in software companies that can be overlooked. So it's interesting the thought processes behind developing that type of function. Yeah, I would agree. I think it is an emerging role. You know, I think more and more very large tech companies have created this chief customer officer role. I would say, you know, the the reason being is that companies who are customer-centric are the most successful. And if I tie this back to our vision when we started Quantexa, we weren't building a software to then find a problem that that software would fix. We started with our customers' problems and we were finding and helping them build out a solution to their problems. And I think that is probably one of the reasons why, you know, thank you for your kind words at the start, Quantexa has been so successful because we are solving real business problems. We are constantly listening to our customers. We are advising and influencing our customers. And we are encouraging them to advise and guide us as well so that our future direction, all of our spend and investment in R&D, that that is focused on developments that are really going to help our clients with their next generation of problems. Okay. Now, you lead a global team and your team is recognised as being motivated and high-performing. Can you talk about what was important to you when you developed your team and how you drive that culture across the globe? Yeah, this is a really great question. You know, I think any organisation like ours that grows at the speed that Quantex has, our biggest asset and also our biggest challenge is our people. So firstly, getting the right people into the organisation with the right skills, but also constantly training them and getting them to grow at the speed that Quantex is, is an ongoing challenge that we have. And it is very important for me that I have a global team that um, have the same consistent approach to our clients, the same quality of output and delivery, just as we had our, in our initial vision as a, as a group of six, that we'd, we would always do the right thing by the customer. And as I look at my team, you know, what are the foundations of what I need in them? I need passion. I need people to believe in Quantex's approach to to technology, this new generation of you know artificial intelligence-based technologies, I need people to believe and have the passion behind it because when my employees believe what they're doing, then so do our customers. But I need them to also back that up with knowledge. And I think people in my team, it's an interesting position in an organisation such as ours. It's not the sales, it's not the very commercial end of the business, nor is it the deep technical R&D actually they sit in between and they are often the bridge internally between the technical and the commercial and they play the same role in our clients so they need to be able to come with the passion but also to substantiate that with the knowledge both technical and business 
which I must confess isn't an easy skill set to recruit. We sometimes describe them as unicorns. You know, my four-year-old daughter who loves unicorns at the moment, I would appreciate this. But they are unicorns, and when you find those unicorns, they play such an influential part in influencing the client, both in the pre-sale process where we are influencing the client, but also in you know the customer success element where we are focusing pre- primarily on how do we make our customers successful? How do we make sure that they realize the full potential and the full business value of this technology that they've invested in? I wanted to share an experience with you that I had. So with one of my customers, I've been with the organisation six months now, so I went to meet with the head of fraud for the first time. So as soon as we had introduced ourselves, she then started to talk about what a great experience it's been to work with Quantexa. And it was unprompted, and she led with that in the conversation because she really wanted me to know. And she said, Quantexa is not like other organisations I've worked with. Quantexa is not like other software companies. And you have supported us through our entire journey and in so many different ways. And obviously, a lot of that has been down to your team and the customer delight Mm. that they've been able to drive. So the point of telling you that is just to demonstrate to you how what you've talked about does work in practice. And when you talk about going on the journey, the customer used that term as well. We were there as part of their journey. So to me, that's very exciting. And to me, when I heard that, I was very proud to be part of Contexa and to be working for the company. I'd love to give you another flavour of that. So one of our now clients, it took us a number of years to get them on board with Contexa as clients. And a bit of feedback we got was even there was no opportunity with us. Contexa still stayed by our side, still knowledge shared, still shared things from the industry. They didn't look at us and say, there's no money there, ignore them, we're not going to come back to them. They stayed part of our lives, they encouraged us part of our journey, and they waited patiently for the right time when we needed them, and now we need them. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a real testament to customer-focused selling, customer-focused trusted advisory, And I think ultimately that combination with best of breed tech is why we get the comments such as your fraud client. And it's precisely where we need to be. So when I talk to my fellow co-workers and I've asked them why they join Contexa, I usually get two answers. And people will say it's leading edge technology and fantastic culture. And these are things that attract people. So let's take them separately. So leading edge technology, how does Quantexa ensure that they, number one, have leading edge technology and then stay ahead of the game? What do we do? It's a great question. A lot of investment, firstly, a lot of investment in our research and development department. You know, we are well over 100 people in that department now. Listening to our customers, the voice of the customer is central and again it's a key area that I focus on making sure that we are both pushing out our ideas to our clients and getting feedback on them but also in the form of customer advisory and shoulder shadowing sessions as we sometimes describe them where we actually sit with our end users that we are listening to them we are understanding their problems of today but we're also looking to the future and sort of preempting with their help what is coming down the track And I think, you know, in a lot of the space we operate in the risk space, 
Some of that is about staying very close to regulation and the, the regulators and knowing the directions they're going to take because the direction they take directly impacts our clients and the solutions and the problems they have. And therefore, what we need to do from a technology perspective to help them address those problems. So it's an organic, collaborative process that you go through? It is. We consider our clients not as our clients, but as our partners. And we believe that they consider us in a similar sort of vein, a similar sort of way. And it's that partnership that enables this open sharing of problems. There's no sort of feeling between anyone says, oh, I don't want to tell them that in case X. We've got that partnership. We've got that trusted advisor relationship. Great. So now on the question of culture, Quantexa has a unique culture, strong teamwork, highly motivated individuals, great workplace to be in. So was that something that just happened by accident or was this something that the leadership team planned? Absolutely by design. Mm. My my view is the the culture in an organisation starts at the top of the organisation. It starts with the leadership team. And, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate. Four out of the other five founders I've known since I was a graduate, since I was 23 years old in my first job. So we've known each other for a long time. We know how each other operates. And we are friends. You know, we've been to each other's weddings. We've been and met each other's children in the, in the first couple of weeks of their birth. And so we are friends and we care about each other. And, we, you know, we have push that down in our culture within our organisation that these, you know, our people are our most important asset. We could have the best technology in the world and if we didn't have a good culture and if we didn't take care of our people, then we wouldn't have the success that we have. And, you know, we believe that when our people are well looked after, that they will take on our vision, which is about doing right by our customers. And therefore, ultimately, we end up with the best result and we end up with a happy, motivated hard-working, innovative workforce. And I think that's really what we've achieved today. I think one of the challenges we find is how do you ensure that the culture that you have at headquarters spreads out to the, the cultural culture in the local regions and also that it adapts because, you know, those in the UK operate differently from those in America, from those in Australia and so forth. And I, I guess, you know, you're, it'd be interesting to get your perspective from the culture that you've seen in Australia. You know, it was one of our satellite offices. It's not actually pretty significant in size. And from my perspective, everybody wants to be part of the Australian workforce. You know, we saw your Christmas parties and it, it seemed like a, a lot of exciting things were happening out there. But it, it is an important consideration how we ensure that the culture that we created here as the founding team and the headquarters really does go out to all of those different parts of the world. Well, I can assure you that in Australia, some people joined Contexa primarily because of the culture. And that's the word in the market as well, that it's a very supportive, inclusive, great place to work. So it's a big achievement to be able to permeate that out across the globe. So thank you for giving me the background on the organisation and how you've rolled out across the world and the things that are important to the organisation. And I wanted to talk about you a little bit and just get sort of a personal view. When I interview female leaders, many female leaders talk about the importance of bringing your whole self to work. 
Now, I think this is something you have absolutely done. So you're one of six founders in an organisation that's recognised across the world as being one of the most exciting leading-edge organisations to work for. So it's a very dynamic, very busy workforce and a very busy place to be. But within that, you now have two beautiful young children, which is obviously demanding for any person. So how have you managed all of that and how have your peers and staff reacted? It's a good question. Yeah, absolutely. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old who still keep me awake occasionally at night. How have I managed it? I don't want to say it's been easy because it hasn't. It is, it's difficult, in the truth. It is challenging. I think there are a lot of things that make it challenging. Some of those are just how many things you've got to juggle simultaneously. You know, you do all of the thinking for the home and the kids and you also do the thinking for work as well. But I think personally for me the biggest challenge has been the emotional sort of guilt that comes from when I go into work and leaving the children behind. And I, I had a, an experience this week where my two-year-old two wasn't feeling brilliantly and he was literally clinging to my coattails as I walked out the door to go to the office. So there are moments like that where you do feel the guilt. For me, I suppose as I look to understand myself and my own motivation, I am a happier person when I'm working. I love to work. I love my job. I find the intellectual stimulation that comes with it so interesting, so exciting and it gets me out of bed in the morning. And my belief is that when I am a happy person, then I am a better mum. Now, how, in terms of helping people like me balance the, the work-life balance, which isn't easy, I think it is about flexibility. I think it is about having boundaries in place there. So, for example, between I'm unavailable for between 6pm and 7.30 every evening because I do bath time. And that is an important bonding time that I have with my children. And by doing that and by knowing when I'm at work that I get to go home and do that, every night, then that gives me what I need to be able to be okay during the day when I'm doing my job. But that requires support from an organisation and an acknowledgement that that is important. And I think if we then come back to your previous conversation around culture, that's about setting the right tone from the top to say that that is okay and that is important because we recognise our staff perform at their best when they achieve that balance and when they are able to prioritise all of the important things in their lives. And I don't think that just stops at those who have children. You know, during the COVID pandemic and lockdown, we were very strongly encouraging people to make time for themselves and for their mental well-being and for their passions, whether that passion was their children, whether that passion was that they liked to go running or whether their passion was music. They had to set aside time, they had to set their boundaries, and everybody else in the organisation had to respect that. So I think as long as the tone from the top and the culture from the top is saying, this is important and you need to make time for that, and people like me are seen to be actively saying, myself, I'm sorry, that's my important family time, then that flows down and everybody else feels empowered to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. So I feel very fortunate that I have and I work in such a supportive environment that I am able to choose to do both but it's not always easy and I, I sometimes find that my my brain is working at 100 miles an hour every single day as I, as I juggle the two things. As a mum I can say it's a constant juggle. It does get easier. It is. So it doesn't get easier. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, no, it gets e- it does get easier. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, and and I think it's important that you know we come to work as people, and as people, you know, life happens. Yeah, and I, you you have to be able to do it. You know, when your child is sick, you have to be able to pick up the phone and say, "I'm sorry, I can't do that," and you know, for you not to feel guilty, and for everybody else around you to say go and do what you need to do and that is exactly what we have in place here as part of our culture and I think in that way you know I do a lot around trying to give women a role model to look up to trying to excite women about the art of the possible and that actually there is the potential to do all of these things and to do them to the best of your ability and to succeed in this sort of world which has traditionally been male dominated and to have the children but you have to have the right environment and things in place to be able to really support you to do that yes definitely so you're founder in what is truly a remarkable organization what advice do you have for other female entrepreneurs thinking of developing their own startup or organization do it you know i i remember so we're six years old probably we've been thinking about this for a while and I remember thinking should I do this should I not I was married I was approaching the age that I thought you know we were thinking about having children and it did cross my mind should I just stay where I am should I do it at a later point in life and actually there's no time like the present if you have an idea and you have the passion and you know that it's going to motivate you to want to do all the things you want to do then absolutely do it and make sure that you have the right support mechanisms in place that you will have to, to make sure that they are in place to enable you to be successful at the things you, you want to do nothing should hold you back good advice and i have one final question so knowing what you know now all the experience you've had if you could go right back to when you first started work maybe your first job out of university what advice would you give to yourself well, that's a great question. Let me go back to university. When I was at university, I did a maths degree in my final year, which was my master's year. I was one of three females in the year group left. And the other two women in the year were going on to study PhDs. And I knew that wasn't for me. And I looked at all the job opportunities, and they were all your sort of standard paths that a mathematician would walk down, you know, audit and accountancy, actuarial science. And I knew I didn't want to do any of those things. But I didn't know what I did want to do. And what I did know I wanted to do, I wanted to go travelling. My mum said, you can't go travelling until you accept a job. I accepted a job. That was, so that was how I started my career. So you listened to your mum. That's good. I listened good. to my mum. That was good advice. <laughs> she gave my four-year-old daughter. And I accepted a job, a random job. And truthfully, I knew very little about it. But I started the job and they taught me to code. And I loved it. I was a coder for the first four years. And I... Moved to London, originally from Northern Ireland. I moved to London, met a great bunch of friends, met my future husband, got trained up fantastically well and had a huge number of job opportunities through that. So my advice to myself then was I was quite panicked. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And actually, just by taking a step, even if I didn't know necessarily what that step was, that was fine, that was okay. And I've taken various steps since then. And I didn't know where I was going to end up. But it was okay because I was taking a step forward and I was taking it without fear and that was fine. You don't always have to know the answers. You don't always have to have a 10, 15, 20 year plan. And, you know, even when we started Quantexa, 
we didn't know whether Contexa would be successful. We we sat around a you know, kitchen island and we had a plan in place and we knew why we were starting it and we knew the vision that we had. But we never knew whether it was going to be successful. Nobody ever can when they do a startup. But we didn't have the fear to do it because we had the passion and the belief and the knowledge to take that leap of faith and to leverage those skills and the relationships that we had to be able to make it successful. Life is too short to do a job that you don't love, that you don't have the passion about. You know, when I came back to work after after having my second child, I was chatting to our CEO and I said that, you know, the reason I'm coming back to work is because I love what I do and I will work so long as I'm loving what I do. I think it would be very difficult to go back to work if you weren't passionate. It would be very difficult as a woman to leave your children if you didn't love what you were doing. So take a leap of faith. Take those steps forward. Don't believe that you always have to plan what is ahead. Don't believe that you have to know everything in order to be good at that job. And I'll bring this back to being a female in, in my sort of line of work. I read a statistic that women believe that they need to know 70% of the answers to consider themselves an expert. Men believe they need to know 20-30% of the answers in order to believe that they are an expert. And I believe in, in this world, you have to be able to take a leap of faith, to be confident, to don't believe that you're an imposter in these situations, and not to have to know the end result, the full end direction of where you're going, in order to take that step forward. Yeah, back yourself. Back yourself. Back yourself in the skills that you have, the education, the knowledge. Back yourself in situations where you are a minority, whatever that minority is, because you come with a whole breadth of different skills that come together as a complementary skill set in order to make the wherever you are successful. Great advice, and I think I'll tell my daughter that. I'll make her listen to what you've just said. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed chatting with you today. Oh, thank you. It's been such a pleasure, and it's just a fascinating story, and it's great to understand more about what our organisation does and why it does it. So thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for listening and tuning in to the Women Count podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode and would like to support us, please subscribe to the show and provide a star rating. Watch out for new episodes on leadership and data science. And if you want to connect with the tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womeninbigdata.org. Bye-bye for now.